Well, good morning. Uh, every time I come here to this church house, I, uh, it brings back memories of back in uh, 1982 when uh, Brother Henry Horse was retiring from teaching school right here in this basement. And uh, they called on uh, Keith Crowder and myself to, to come and teach in the high school. And uh, we taught together here, <laughs> they're right down there for, for three years and uh, rubbed shoulders with each other every day. Uh, it was certainly a learning experience for me. Brother Nathan, your, your dear dad, um, uh, he was so gracious in, in helping us get started. You know, uh, he had been here so long and, and um, uh, he, uh, he was really a help to uh, get Keith and I going. He, we had a lot of questions that he answered and uh, he, he was. Uh, he was. <clears throat> And so uh, some of you younger ones don't remember that, of course, and some of you that moved in here don't know that, but uh, I'm looking at a few of you that were my students. <laughs> and uh, so you know the story. Uh, yeah, you, you, you remember uh, the, uh, the times also. And, uh, well, I trust that um, God could have been honored and glorified and uh, we learned together in, in those first days of, of school, uh, working together here in this basement. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, as you could, um, the word brotherhood, at least in the King James, is in the Bible two times. It's in the Old Testament one time, and it's in the New Testament one time. And uh, I invite you to turn with me to where we find it in the New Testament. It is in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 Peter in chapter 2, and it's verse uh, 17, verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, love the brotherhood. Now, I said the word's only in the New Testament one time, but... Uh, it, it simply means uh, the community of brothers and, and sisters, uh, the community that fellowships together. Um, it, it has, um, in fact, I remember right now when I was looking it up in Strong's Concordance, Concordance it's in, in the Greek uh, dictionary, it's number, uh, comes from definition number 80 and 81. And uh, one of them had the word connective, connective. There's a connection. That's why we're brothers and sisters. That's something that connects us. In that fellowship, that group of people, we can refer to it as a brotherhood or the brotherhood. Um, love the brotherhood. It says in verse 17, love the brotherhood. I do. I, I love it. I love you because you're a part of me. Uh, and, and you... You need things I, I need. Uh, you, you, we need to learn from each other, and I do. I, I trust uh, when, when Peter said here, love the brotherhood, you can say a hearty yay and amen. I, I love it. Uh, I love my brothers and sisters. I, I, I confess that I need them. <clears throat> well, 
So, so the topic for this first one this morning is members one of another. Now that exact quote is in the New Testament two times. Uh, members one of another. It's in Romans and it's in Ephesians. I think we'll look at both of those to start with here. Romans chapter 12, we have members one of another um, writ written there one time. Uh, Romans chapter 12, and it's in verse 5. Romans 12, 5. So we, being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. And we'll talk about that some more here before long, but um, I'm just showing you right now where, where the, that those words are, that exact quote is right there, members one of another. Um, it's also in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, and it's in verse 25, Ephesians 4:25. And it says this in 4.25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. It's kind of like the modern day saying, well, well duh, of, of course. You know, uh, you, how can you, if your brother is your member, if he's part of you and you're part of him, how could you ever dare lie to him? It, it wouldn't make sense at all. It's like you're lying to yourself. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Why? Well, because we're members one of another. That's why. So those two places, we have members one of another, and we certainly are. Now, <clears throat> two classic places in the New Testament where we have this thing of of members relating forth. One's in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and one's in Romans 12. Um, and you, you children, you know, th this is so interesting, that passage in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that we'll turn to momentarily. But uh, all you, you children that can understand what I'm saying, you can understand what the Apostle Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 12 when he talked about the body parts, all the different parts of the body, many parts of the body, um, some, some parts of the body, I should say, <laughs> and, and how, how they relate to each other. And we can easily understand that. A child can understand that. That's so beautiful that Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose to explain it that way for us. In, in looking at these scriptures this morning, <clears throat> There, there's, there's three things that you should keep in mind, and I already mentioned one of them because of the, the meaning of, of brotherhood. I said one of the words in, in that Greek dictionary that gave the, the meaning of brotherhood was, I think it was written, connective or connectivity. You, I think you can all agree that I, I'm to each other. My body's, you know, connected. I'm not two parts. I, I'm just one, one body, and everything's hooked up together here, <laughs> you know? and so the word is connective. There's, so, so these three, three words, it's, it's good to keep in mind when we look at these scriptures. One is connection, and, and one is love, and one is accountability. So connection, love, and accountability. You can understand that. We, we already looked at brotherhood and said love, love, the, love the brotherhood, and we'll see in some of these scriptures we look at that uh, uh, if it doesn't use the word love, the, the implication is there all the time, many times. 
So, so in a body and in its parts, of course, there's love and there's accountability. And you could uh, kind of go down the, the row that, that, that Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and talk about each one of these connection, love, and accountability. The connection part's pretty easy because we realize we're all connected together. You know, and my body's all connected together. And um, the different parts of my body love each other. In other words, uh, my, my hand doesn't hate my leg. You know, my hand, when something happens to my leg, my, my hand loves it so much it reaches down there and, and it tries to help it and nurse it. And so there's a love. And then, and then there's this thing of accountability. Uh, working together, helping one another uh, in, in the parts of my body and, of course, in the body of Christ. So think about that when we look at these connection. Love and accountability. Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, that classic passage uh, where um, Paul talks about the different body parts and uses that to illustrate the body of Christ, the brotherhood. Uses that to illustrate that we are members one of another. 1 Corinthians 12 um, Sometimes when I start reading, I, it's hard for me to, to not stop and make some comments along the way. Uh, and, uh, but I think maybe for now I'll try to read uh, these verses and then we'll, we'll look at them, make some comments on them. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at, at verse 12 and reading through verse 27. Verse 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. I will stop. I mean, has he said anything that you can't understand yet? Probably not. Even the little ones, you, you, you probably followed very easily what he said so far. Okay, keep going. Verse 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? One more, two more questions yet, verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Now he asked all those questions. I didn't count them, was it four, five, or six questions there he asked? And he did not give the answers. You know why? Jesus did the same thing many times because the answer is so obvious. <laughs> did I say children can understand this? The answer is so obvious. It's, it's intended to make us think and to say, oh, well, of course. Well, well yes. Well, of course. I understand that. Yes. 
questions, you don't need to give the answer. We know the answers. Verse 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Wow, that, that is so beautiful. Explained it so simply that we, we have no excuse, no reason not to understand what, what Paul is saying. Um, so I mentioned the questions that he asked there in verses um, you know, 15 and, and following. But no, notice then in verse 18, sometimes you may be tempted to think, why is that brother or sister here? Or why did God give that brother or sister to, to our body, to our congregation? <laughs> what does the end of verse 18 say? As it hath pleased him. Now, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. Uh, following here, we have words of admonition about, look, I need you and you need me. And, and there's parts of the body that somewhat undesirable, you know, don't look like we think they should or don't act like we should, you know, and, and get under my skin and so forth. Um, and God has given the members of the body for, for a purpose, for a reason. That, that member that you have problems with, you know, God could have placed him somewhere else, but no, he's here. And what will you do about it? Will you, will you, will you love that that brother or sister, will you relate to him in such a way that there's a, a building up and a help uh, for everybody involved? Verse 20, but now are they many members, yet one body. Many members. And, and you can see in the next verses, not just many, not just many, but various types of members. Various characteristics, various qualities, that many certainly includes that, not, not just a lot, but, but more than quantity, 
but different qualities also, you might say. <clears throat> you know, um, see right there, my, my ear was itching. So, I, I, I mean, I didn't try to do that. It just I felt an itch, so I reached up there and scratched it. <laughs> that, that's beautiful. That, that's wonderful. That's actually some of what he's saying right here. Um, and he uses the word feeble in verse 22. But he says those feeble ones are necessary. Now, he don't explain, go into a big discussion of here of why, why they're necessary, and we don't need to either. But we already noted that God placed them here for a reason, as it pleased him in verse 18. Um, so there's some feeble ones, whatever that means. But they're necessary. I underline in verse 23 the words, we think. We think. Verse 23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable. Upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. So there's some parts of a body. He used the word comely there. Uh, nice looking. Uh, Desirable, you know, or, or vice, or, or, or the opposite of that. Okay, um, <clears throat> he uses it both ways here: uncomely parts and comely parts. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, underline in your mind at least: we think in verse twenty-three, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, they're not. They're not necessarily. But in our humanness, too often we think, we think they're less honorable. Um, you know, you could go into, with something like this, you could go into the medical thing and, and, and all our inner parts, <laughs> okay? Um, and those things inside of, of us, um, like that, that even today sometimes doctors aren't quite sure uh, what the purpose of it is, but, um, but it's for a reason. God made, it for re God made all the parts for reasons. Um, by the way, the word schism in verse 25, yeah, how, how do you pronounce it? Well, I looked in the dictionary, and, it, and it's like four different pronunciations, okay? <laughs> so, so likely, I'll say it right <laughs> when you have that many options, you know? And so, uh, yeah, it, everybody don't pronounce it the same, and that's okay. There's, there's four different possibilities in the dictionary. Um, that's not so important about the pronunciation, but... Uh, it's talking about division. That there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Too often when there's division, it's because there's not enough care between members. Not enough care. This said should have the same care one for another. Of course, in verse 26, he uses the word suffer a couple times, helping each other, being there for each other when we suffer. I already said, you know, if my leg gets hurt, my hand will go down there and stroke it and smooth it and push it and pull it, you know, and try to see what's wrong. And if it gets a splinter in my toe, you know, I'll take my fingers in my hand and, and they'll work in a wonderful way, just loving each other and trying to help each other. <laughs> That's, it's such a beautiful illustration here of the body of Christ. 
Verse 27, the last one I read. Now ye are the body of Christ. And members in particular. There's many different members in that body. Yeah, it makes up one body. Um, let me read something to you. Um, likely this might be something that... Uh, it was an old tract. Uh, and so some of you older ones maybe have read this years ago. I, I haven't seen it in circulation any time recently. That doesn't mean it, it isn't. But anyway, it's this one called The Tools Quarrel. The Tools Quarrel. It's by one by the name of R.T. Moore. Initials R.T. Moore. Let me see if I can read it to you. He starts out with part of a verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are laborers together with God. Emphasizing the laboring together, working together with God. All the different members working together for one purpose, one goal, working with God. The carpenter's tools had a conference. Brother Hammer was in the chair. The meeting had informed him that he must leave because he was too noisy. But he said, if I am to leave this carpenter shop, Brother Gimlet must go too. He is so insignificant that he makes a very little impression. Now, Gimlet, it's an old tool. It's just a small drill. It's just a, a, a shaft with th threads on the bottom of it with a little T-handle just to, by hand, drill a small hole. It's called a gimlet. So uh, he said, Brother Gimlet, if I go, Brother Gimlet's going to have to go too because he makes such a small impression. Little Brother Gimlet rose and said, All right, but Brother Screw must go also. And around... Um, Brother Screw must go also. You have to turn him around and around again and again to get him anywhere. Brother Screw then said, If you wish, I will go. But Brother Plain must leave also. All his work is on the surface. There is no depth to it. To this, Brother Plain replied, Well, Brother Rule will also have to withdraw if I do. For he, he's always uh, measuring folks as though he were the only one who is right. Brother Rule then complained against Brother Sandpaper and said, I just don't care. He is rougher than he ought to be, and he is always rubbing people up the wrong way. In the midst of these discussions, the carpenter of Nazareth walked in. He had come to perform his day's work. He put on his apron and went to the bench to make a pulpit from which to preach the gospel to the poor. He employed the screw, the gimlet, the sandpaper, the saw, the hammer, the plane, and all the other tools. After the day's work was over and the pulpit was finished, Brother Saul arose and said, Brethren, I perceive that all of us are laborers together with God. Oh, 
how many of us Christians are just like those tools, fussing at each other because they don't do things just the way we think they should. There was not an accusation against one of those tools, but what was absolutely true. Yet the carpenter, who was Jesus Christ, used every one of them, and there was not a place where he used anyone where any of the others would have done it all. How careful we should be in finding fault with one of God's tools. How many of you had heard that one before? <laughs> okay, a few of you, yeah. It's interesting uh, how you use the tools to help us understand the importance of our working together. Everyone has a job, you know. <clears throat> Let's turn to Romans chapter 12, uh, another uh, passage that um, certainly speaks about us working together in a beautiful, loving, harmonious way. Romans chapter 12. I'll read through verse 16. You know, when I was first thinking, I thought, well, I'll start at verse 3. And then I got to thinking, no, no, no. It's a reason why verse 1 and 2 come before the rest of those verses. And I trust you understand as we begin with verse 1. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You can see he's starting out being a sacrifice, you know, giving ourselves. Then in verse 3, not to think himself more highly. When we put ourselves up here and other people are down here, here the rest of these verses are not going to work too well, you see. And, of course, Paul knew that, so he knew where to start. Not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, in the verse 3, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Members one of another. There's one of those places that we looked at. That two places in the New Testament, that's one of them. Every one members one of another. Verse 6, And having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our minister, ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love. Did we say there's connection, there's love, and there's accountability in all these passages? Connection. Love 
and accountability. Verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. With brotherly love. Remember Peter said, love the brotherhood. Yes, he did. Here it says, with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind, one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Where I stopped there at the end of verse 16, what that really means is be not wise in your own, in your own proud notions. Be not wise in your own proud notions. Much could be said about these verses. We, we don't have time to, uh, to look at them in detail. If you haven't looked at this passage for a while, Romans 12, uh, maybe you could use that for your devotional for a, a few days or a week or something and just kind of pour over it and see what God may be saying to you uh, in this passage. I would like to read uh, to you a part of a, another article uh, or an article uh, from some years back. It was written by one uh, Paul Zare, and not the Paul Zare from Washington and Oregon, but this is a Paul Zare from Ontario, Canada. And he entitled it, The Sin of Individualism. See, individualism is quite different than what we're talking about this morning. Members one of another, and individualism, they're like opposites. So he entitled this The Sin of Individualism. Individualism is an age problem the church has always faced. It is a problem of personal independence and self-interest. Individualism is wrong because it exalts self above others. It is an expression of pride. It is pride of heart that makes an individual think himself superior to his equals. It is direct disobedience to the biblical command not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Pride moves people to the place where they feel their own ideas or accomplishments are more worthwhile than others with whom they have to do. Let us consider some evidences of individualism which we must guard against in our own experience. And so he lists a number, number of what he calls evidences of individualism. Number one. A lack of appreciation of the, of the church. There are sometimes those who have their own ideas about the church and feel they are better than others in the church. They may feed on inconsistencies which they perceive to be in the church and use them to justify their differing with the church. Some may find it difficult to obey the standards of the church. If they do obey outwardly, they may inwardly feel otherwise and promote these ideas to others. When a father or mother openly disagrees with the standards of the church, he is not only expressing, expressing his individualistic opinions, but is planting seeds of individualism 
in his children and youth. Number two, an unsubmissive spirit. Some have never learned to submit to others from their childhood. This makes a problem in relating to a body of believers where decisions are made as a brotherhood. Many of the, these folk end up seeking their own interests instead of the interests of the body. Number three, pietistic expressions. Sometimes an unwillingness to follow group conscience gives expression of what is known as pietism. This doctrine promotes the idea of personal piety that is basically between the individual and the Lord. It further discounts the value of the Christian submitting to the church. Pietism tends to be vocal in its Lord, Lord claims, but tends to be silent on the virtues of a life that is separated to God, living in humility and holiness. Pietism fosters the idea of every man doing that which is right in his own eyes, which is nothing short of individualism. Number four, new groups. We live in a time when there are many new groups beginning. Sad to say, many regroupings are a result of individualistic ideas. Personal ambition, personality conflicts, or an unwillingness to support certain church standards are too often the basis for the beginning of a new group. Number five, not working in harmony. Sometimes within a congregation or church fellowship, there are expressions of individualism. It may be those who are unwilling to submit themselves fully <clears throat> to the church's direction, or it may be a committee member who operates too independently without seeking the counsel and direction of the others responsible. It may <clears throat> even be a church leader who takes too much upon himself in working alone without consulting the rest of the ministerial team. Then he concludes this article with, with, uh, with this paragraph. We need to understand that none of us has all the gifts of the Spirit. God intended the church to be a treasury of the gifts where they are blended to become a beautiful and powerful kingdom. A unified body of believers gives a more powerful witness to the world than one individual by himself is able to do. 1 Corinthians 12 clearly portrays the church as a body that is one integral unit. It leaves no room for individualism. In fact, as we examine the motives and expressions of individualism in the light of God's word, we conclude it is sin. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians in chapter 4. <clears throat> Again, uh, I would like to read a number of verses here. We don't have time to, to go into detail uh, and talk about these, but they're so beautiful. They just jump out at you and make you smile if you really take them in. And so, again, you know, maybe in your personal devotions or something for a few days, you could just pour over some of these verses in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me begin with the first seven verses. 
I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation where you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. See, verse 2 right there, talking about relating to each other. We're members of one another, and we relate to, there's a connection with each other. There needs to be love there. There needs to be accountability there. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, even as we are called in one hope, of one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wow, that's a verse you can ponder over for a little bit, just two lines long. It's God's decision. Um, it's God's grace. And he uh, has gifted people in different ways. And so, uh, you know, be sure you underline grace in that, in that verse. It's so important. But unto everyone who's given grace, grace from where? Of course, grace from Christ is at the end, uh, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, um, jump over to uh, verses 11 to 16. Verse 11 to 16 and you notice verse 14 and 16 especially are kind of long verses. Uh, you know, it's one, one of those places where, you know, Paul don't hardly give you time to catch your breath. It was such a long sentence in some, of, in some cases. Uh, that's why you need to take a, a lot of time with it so you understand exactly what he's saying. Verse 11 to 16. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, let me just share something with you. So the comma there after the first uh, phrase for the perfecting of the saints. Um, the idea is the whole the next phrase with it. Uh, not, not two different things but one thing. And that is this. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. He's given gifts. So the saints can be for perfected for the purpose of ministering and for the purpose of serving for the perfecting of the saints for the work of serving or ministry and then we have another thing at the end of the verse for the edifying of the body of Christ or building up of course till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ wow that has some interesting words and phrases in it doesn't it take some time with that and study it Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, <laughs> take your time with verse 16, which we don't have time this morning. But from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Building up, and of course the last word is love. Did we say, you know, in a body there's connection, there's love, and there's accountability. We have a responsibility for each other, for one another. Yes. Let me uh, conclude by <clears throat> reading uh, 
a, a little paragraph or two here. This is right out of, uh, from uh, Daniel Kaufman. Daniel Kaufman in, in, in Doctrines of the Bible. And uh, it's in a section about the supporting the church. And, and this section, is this little paragraph is called Loyalty. Loyalty. In civic economy, the most serious offender and the one most despised man is the traitor. That is the traitor. He who is untrue to the cause he has espoused is without respect or esteem among friends and foes alike. On the other hand, he who is true to his profession, be it popular or ever so unpopular, wins and holds the respect of all who are respectable. How this condition is intensified in the Christian economy. Disloyalty on the part of the member of the church, be it in ever so small a matter, militates against the best interests of the church and the cause of Christ in general. Loyalty in all things to God and the church carries with it a mighty influence and power to lift up and affirm the work of the church. Let the watchword of each member of the congregation be loyal to the doctrines of the church, loyal to the work of the church, loyal in separation from the world, loyal in supporting the public service and all the activities of the congregation, Loyal to all that is good and high and noble. Loyal to Christ. I've chosen a, a song to sing now here at the end of this message. And uh, you may turn to it now. The song leader will come and lead it. It's number 462 in the church hymnal. Number 462 in the church hymnal. <clears throat>